Hello, and welcome to the first episode of the new AOPA Airport Support Network podcast series. Thanks for joining us. This podcast series is dedicated to helping our members and our Airport Support Network volunteers solve problems at their local airports. Our topic for this episode is, will your airport be here tomorrow? Airports in America are under threat, and we will explore a few of those threats, as well as successful strategies to deal with those threats. I'm Ferdy Mack with AOPA's Pilot Information Center, and thanks for joining us. If you have any general aviation questions, or perhaps a specific question on airport issues, you can contact us with your questions at 800-872-2672, Monday through Friday, 8.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Or you can email us your questions at pilotassist at aopa.org. Joining me today is Mike Ginter. Mike is the AOPA Vice President of our Airports and State Advocacy Team. Welcome, Mike. Hey, thank you very much, Ferdy. Really great. Great to have you here. Glad to get this underway. So let's get started. What are some of the threats to airports today? You use that word a lot, and I'm really interested to hear what the literal examples are. Well, I do, and, uh, and airports are under threat today, and, and uh, I think more of our AOPA members ought to know about it uh, because it's a problem that can be solved. But the long and short of it is um, AOPA's efforts with our You Can Fly initiative and high school initiative and flying clubs and flight schools and rusty pilots and uh, the great work of our ASI team with safety mm-hmm. uh, and really the broader general aviation efforts to, uh, to fill the, uh, the, the, the pilot workforce shortage, uh, those, those efforts are all becoming more and more successful. Uh, for the first time last year, we saw more pilots, uh, 16% increase in the number of new pilot certificates issued over the year prior. And that's a very good thing to see for the last couple of years because we've had a steady decline in the number of pilots since the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, uh, AOPA's uh, quite successfully uh, rolled out their high school initiative to 35 states and over 6,000 students in the in the next school year. Uh, our fly, uh, flight school effort is now uh, got 900 flight schools and 1,800 CFIs evaluated. And we'll have some exciting news coming out about flight school efforts uh, in this next year. For flying clubs, we've created 111 new flying clubs, um, and there are over 1,500 flying clubs in our, in our directory. Our Rusty Pilots program has brought 6,300 pilots back to the cockpit, and that's great news. Uh, that plus the fact that we're bringing in brand new pilots. Um, safety in the general aviation is at all-time historic lows, which is great. Less than one fatal mishap per 100,000 hours, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I think the number was 0.89 um, mishaps, fatal mishaps per 100,000, which is great. Always work to be done, but those are good numbers. And that's in a, in a backdrop of increasing flying hours. So the population's increasing, the technology is coming out to maybe make airplanes more accessible and affordable. Um, we may see electrically powered aircraft soon in the training environment, which should certainly lower the cost. And I think we're going to see over the next couple of decades that the uh, ability to enter general aviation and be a pilot, which is every kid's dream, was mine. <laughs> I think that uh, reality is going gonna, is gonna to become increasingly easy to, to, uh, to experience. But there's one problem, and that is uh, all these green arrows and green vectors on, on uh, the stuff we're measuring. All the good things you've told us so far. All the good things uh, are against a backdrop of uh, the airport population in this country is still decreasing. So in 20 years, I fear that we're going to have a booming general aviation uh, industry, more booming than it is today. 
but we're going to look around and say, where was the airport uh, that used to be here? And it's a, it's a problem that we're focused on in my team. And this podcast series is dedicated to talking about those issues and helping our members and our Airport Support Network volunteers uh, deal with those issues. Uh, we have currently 95 active airport cases that my team is working on. And they range from small airport problems like the 100 low lead uh, fuel hose doesn't retract automatically, which is a simple fix, mm -hmm. to issues like Santa Monica, which is under direct attack from city council, and they've been trying to close it for years, and we've been fairly successful delaying that. And we have some more strategies we're going to pursue to try to keep it open. But uh, the issues uh, affecting airports range from the small to the huge and my team is dedicated to that, so I wanted to start this podcast to make it available to all members. It's a great story. It's something that all of our members can help us with. And something relevant to all of our members. Absolutely. You know, the cheapest airplane in the world is no good if you don't have a runway to fly it off of, right? Right, right. So, Mike, how many airports are out there today, and what types of airports are out there? Well, that's a great question, Ferdy. Um, the uh, short answer is there's 19, over 19,000 landing facilities in the United States. Um, the vast majority are privately owned, and that could be everything from the, the grass strip uh, on the corner of the farm uh, mm -hmm. to, uh, to, you know, Chicago O'Hare and helipads, you know, in, including helipads in the, back, in the backyards of some, some uh, residences to helipads in New York City. Over 19,000 landing facilities. Uh, there's 5,236 public-use airports. Um, some of those are actually privately owned, but 5,236 public-use airports, which is what most of the GA community is using. Uh, I like how you described it when we were discussing it earlier. You look at the chart, you see an R on the chart, you don't go there. Right. Right. We're not talking about those. Sure. I mean, right. what, what pilot doesn't know the magenta circle right. with a little line in it? It's got a runway, and, right. uh, and the little R in the middle of a circle means it's restricted. Mm-hmm. Uh, or private, and, and they're certainly accessible to GA pilots, but you have to do some prior coordination. Yep. So there's 5,200 or so public-use airports, and in that public-use set, there's about 3,300 that are uh, eligible for federal funding, and uh, that program is called the NIPIUS, the National Plan of Integrated Airport Systems, and they get funding from the federal government. And let me tell you, Ferdy, I, I flew for about 38 years uh, GA since I was in 10th grade, mm -hmm. And I thought I knew a little bit about airports, um, 4,900 hours and most of it in Navy jets, but about 1,900 in, in uh, GA aircraft. And I thought I knew a little bit about an airport, control towers and airspace and ramps and everything else. And I even knew about private FBOs and commercial FBOs. Mm -hmm. I had no clue until I took this job and my team educated me that there's a vast knowledge of, of complex airport management and issues. It's a very deep uh, subject matter uh, to include who owns the airport. Uh, the sponsor of an airport is, is, uh, is a big deal. It, it, if it's a privately owned airport, the sponsor is the owner of the land. But the sponsor could be anything from a, uh, a city or a county or a town up to a, an airport commission or an airport authority. I mean, everybody from the D.C. area knows the Metro Washington Airport Authority has Ronald Reagan Washington National Airport and the Dulles International Airport. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, airport authorities are all over town. The Jacksonville Airport Authority, my old home base in my Navy days. I kept my T-6 at Herlong Airport. And the Jacksonville Airport Authority owned Jackson International and Herlong Recreational Field and the Craig Airport. So they had little three airports in their, in their uh, sphere. So the sponsor is something I learned about, and it's very important to know who the sponsor is because that's the person paying the airport manager's paycheck. And it's good to know who the airport manager is. And most of us kind of have a clue who he is, he or she. And sometimes at the bigger airports, it might be the ops manager or the deputy airport manager that, that the GA folks deal with, which is fine. But, but uh, there's, a, there's a lot of depth in the airport ownership business. And uh, that, that leads to many other areas that we'll talk about today. But it's a, it's a complex business. And the good news is for our members – uh, we've got a great team of regional managers and airport uh, experts on our staff that are poised and ready to help with all manner of problems that get raised. I'm going to put you on the spot here for a second. You mentioned uh, NIPIUS and federal funding. As you said, to your average pilot, they might not know, much less care or understand what that means or what that implies. How do, what, what does federal funding do besides its money that flows sure. and improves the airport? What are the implications of oh, yeah. federal funding? Well, good question. So the, uh, the federal government, uh, uh, through the Federal Aviation Administration uh, and the Department of Transportation, um, uh, there's about a $3.35 billion with a B every year appropriated to a program that the FAA administers called the Airport Improvement Program. And uh, as you can imagine, in our great country, uh, that process is, is transparent, it's fair, it's highly regulated, it's highly... Uh, overseen, and there are a lot of people that want to make sure those funds are given out in the right way. We, of course, are watching that all the time to make sure uh, GA airports get their fair share. Um, and that's, that's a huge deal for us. But the Airport Improvement Program is, is the uh, method that NIPIUS airports can get their funding. And the best part about it for general aviation airports is uh, 90% of a funding project can be paid for by federal dollars. And, uh, and only 10% is borne by uh, the sponsor. And most states have a deal where they'll cover 5% of the, of the sponsor's 10%. The sponsor only has to come up with 5%. Mm -hmm. So you can see where uh, at the state level, they have to give maybe 5% or sometimes it's more uh, percentage of, of the 10%. Sponsors have sometimes less than 5% of the share. But, but the sponsor makes that money through hangar sales, hangar rent, um, fuel sales, uh, ramp fees, uh, any other source of revenue, and the state gets its money generally through fuel and excise taxes or aircraft registration fees, and and that's a uh, fairly large pot of money, uh, but it's pennies compared to the federal dollars that are brought to bear. So it's a very important program. It really is the lifeblood that keeps this vital infrastructure going in the GA airports. So, Mike, what does an airport have to do to apply for and receive this money? And once they do, are there certain restrictions on how it can be used or any further implications? Sure. So uh, the sponsor of the airport, uh, typically the airport manager or the, um, the uh, commission or the authority, um, will uh, apply for the federal funding to handle a project. The project is usually going to be something that's laid out in the airport layout plan, which the uh, FAA requires that there be a current airport layout plan approved to guide the growth of the airport or the, 
the rehabilitation of an airport. Mm -hmm. Safety is first, uh, and after that, the runway reconditioning and taxiway expansions and uh, lighting systems and, and AWOS, you know, whether all those things are typically funded by AIP money. But the uh, request goes in after the environmental impact studies are done and after the layout plan is done. It's, this is a multi-year process. Uh, and when the request goes in for the funding and it's going to be uh, approved, well, then the state and the sponsor come up with their share and the FAA comes up with 90% mm -hmm. and the money is then allocated for that project. And of course, it could take a couple of months or a couple of years to do some of these projects. Um, the Because it's federal tax money that, that is flowing into the AIP and then down to these airports, uh, there are federal requirements and they're called grant obligations. Uh, the uh, AIP handbook actually describes 22 categories of grant assurances. And these are things that the typical citizen would expect um, that their money is being stewarded properly. Mm -hmm. Things like the airport that receives this federal funding can't discriminate uh, from one business to the next. It can't preclude certain types of airplanes from coming in. Like you can't say, well, we don't want any jets at this airport because the neighbors are upset about the noise. Mm -hmm. those, are, those would be violations of the grant assurances. Uh, so these grant obligations are the hook that come with these uh, federal dollars. And they actually do a great thing to protect the airport. And they help us with, uh, in many cases, when an airport's under threat, we will use the fact that they have obligations and the federal government will come in and help fix the problem. If it's, if it's a discriminatory act or if it's uh, preventing competition at the airport. You know, uh, luckily, we have many airports that are growing nicely. And, of course, if there's an FBO on the field, that FBO owner probably wants the 100% of the business. And there are plenty of entrepreneurs in this country that see an opportunity and can raise the capital and get some investors and, and petition the airport sponsor for uh, a second spot on the airport for maybe a second FBO. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of airports in this country, uh, towered and untowered, that have three commercial FBOs on the field, and they're all thriving. Yep. Coeur Idaho is a great example. 230-plus based aircraft, no control tower, I don't think, and three commercial FBOs. And they're all doing great business, uh, which is good. That's good for GA. Um, but uh, you can't discriminate against uh, any type of airplane. You can't prohibit competition. And, of course, AOPA is a strong advocate of competition to keep, uh, keep the consumer uh, getting the best deal. You know, we're all about the uh, all stakeholders in this airport ecosystem uh, succeeding, and that includes financially. But uh, competition's a very strong force to make sure egregious pricing doesn't happen. Okay, Mike, so you've talked about some of the, uh, the broad notions of threats and issues at airports, but let's take it to the highest level possible that I can imagine. Why would anyone want to close an airport? Yeah, so that's a great question. We ask ourselves that all the time, right? Who in their right mind would want to close an airport? As a kid, I would have my mother drive me out to the York Airport, and I would be that snot-nosed little kid hanging on the chain link fence watching the airplanes come and go. And these were the coolest airplanes on the earth. These were Cessna 172s and 152s, and it was just the greatest thing in the world to get, to get two hours at the airport if mom was not busy on a Saturday afternoon. And uh, that was how I got hooked on this. I mean, we all have our story about what, is, what got us in. But uh, who would want to close an airport? Well, there's lots of... Uh, vectors. There's lots of lines of attack. Uh, and uh, the, the most egregious and simple one to explain is sometimes there's, a, there's outright political pressure to close an airport because the land the airport's sitting on 
has become more valuable as something else than an airport. Mm -hmm. uh, we just had an experience in uh, North Perry Airport in uh, down near Fort Lauderdale, and we'll talk about the details of that case in a later uh, episode in this series. But that uh, that airport had a city commissioner that wanted to try to uh, fund a study to redevelop the airport, and uh, and we were able to rally the rally the local business owners, local pilots. They formed an organization and they pushed back, and they got great support from the sponsor and from local politicians who who very loudly uh, proclaimed that nothing's going to get in the way of that airport. They want to keep it open. So it was a very good early success for us. But we know that threat is still out there at that airport, and we're keeping an eye on it. But there, the political threats uh, from uh, local politicians who see a, an opportunity perhaps to increase the property tax base or increase the number of students they'll need more high schools. I mean, this is the essence of suburban growth. And uh, the bottom line uh, for us is we encourage strongly that local uh, elected officials know enough about the airport and embrace their airport to make it part of the city's growth so that it can be a bright, shiny attraction for other businesses to come in. Airports are a, an economic engine for a, a, any community's growth. I mean, it brings in business. It brings in people prospecting to build stores or develop new communities uh, or to fly patients or there's uh, law enforcement uh, uh, flights are conducted, air ambulance flights are conducted, firefighting flights. And the list goes on and on, but uh, the biggest one is the political pressure. And then we can talk about a few other other threats as well if you have some time. Sure. Why don't we do that? And, and also, let's start feeding in the idea of, uh, based on certain threats, uh, how can AOPA assist and, and help? Sure. So uh, any threat to an airport, um, be it political or uh, a zoning threat, uh, one of the grant assurances uh, requires that an airport ensure that uh, there's compatible land use around an airport, meaning you can't build a high school on the approach or departure end of a, of a runway. Mm -hmm. There's usually a runway protection zone, and those are protected by grant assurances. Uh, and in the case where there's no grant assurances, they're protected by common sense. But now you have to, you have to go to some more superhuman levels to make sure common sense uh, still applies. Still applies, right. And in a few cases, I mentioned some of these sponsors are, are cities or counties. And those same cities or counties have an office that does zoning permitting and construction mm -hmm. permitting. And there's plenty of times when a county loves its airport or a city loves its airport, but one hand of City Hall isn't talking to the other. So AOPA's presence in this space is to help those government officials understand what their requirements are, and the very best way to prevent the 20-year slow death of an airport is to get a local um, government body to institute some zoning and ordinance uh, laws that align very closely with the grant assurances. So it's a local law, and nobody at the local level then can can be accused of not knowing the grant assurances. I certainly didn't till a year and a half ago when I started with AOPA. But mm -hmm. if the local ordinances are written in a way that uh, the local permitting office can't issue a permit because they don't allow development in the runway protection zone, or maybe they don't allow a, a, a giant residential community to be put under the downwind. I mean, these are all smart things. Mm -hmm. That's the best way to protect an airport. And again, the you protect an airport's death 20 years from now by starting today. Sounds like good advice. 
so uh, tell me a little bit about our AOPA regional managers. How do they factor into all this? Sure. Well, I'm honored to lead uh, seven regional managers around the country and an airport policy manager in uh, D.C. We actually have two uh, very experienced consultants that also help us in the airport space. Uh, so we've got a fantastic bench of talent. Uh, the seven regional managers uh, uh, are uh, Pacific Northwest Mountain Region, uh, has uh, seven states uh, up in the Pacific Northwest. We have a Western Pacific Region, which includes Hawaii, California, Arizona, and Nevada. We have the Central Southwest, basically states around Texas. Uh, the Great Lakes Region, you know, typically around Great Lakes, including the Dakotas. And then we have the Eastern Region, which is basically West Virginia and Virginia up to Maine and the southern region, which is North Carolina, Kentucky, and down to Florida, including Puerto Rico. So uh, it's a great team, and uh, we, have, uh, we have a lot of uh, information available on our website about our regional managers. Uh, just go to aopa.org, and you click on the Advocacy tab, and you can find a map of the regional managers and click on it to find who the regional manager is. And I would encourage AOPA members to, if they have an issue, to reach out to the regional manager and, and uh, get their help. Okay, Mike, great. Uh, do you have a list of any other threats you'd like to cover? Sure. Um, so, so an interesting one is, uh, is the public perception problem. Um, and, of course, I was raised by a, a loving mother and a nurse who was the world-class warrior. And uh, it's kind of ironic because at the age of 18, I jumped out of airplanes and went on to fly uh, uh, combat missions off of aircraft carriers. And she, uh, she still doesn't forgive me for that. <laughs> but uh, the community's perception is, uh, is something that uh, I'd like to talk about for a few minutes. And, and that is uh, if you ask any non-flying citizen about uh, if you tell them you're a pilot and one of their first reactions is, or if you say, hey, how would you like to go flying Saturday? Let's go get a burger. And one of their first reactions might be, oh, it's too dangerous or I would, I'm, too, I'm afraid of flying or there's no way because if that airplane takes off, it's going to crash. Or if your house is anywhere near an airport, you're convinced, some people are convinced that it's just a matter of time until – an airplane is going to land on the, their roof, and it's going to be terrible. Well, a stall is when the engine stops and the airplane falls out of the sky, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. So, so the public perception is uh, something that most pilots have, have experienced that, and it's uh, and we pretty much know how to how to talk through that, uh, you know. But but when it comes to the airport, um, the neighbors around an airport are the general public. And uh, in the cases where there's a noise complaint or maybe there's been a, an accident or two, maybe mm -hmm. it's just a simple uh, carb ice issue and somebody did a very nice off-airport landing on the, on the departure end and the airplane flew again. Yep. It doesn't matter. It's going gonna, it's gonna to hit the news and it's just another um, reinforcement of how aviation can be perceived as dangerous. And in fact, it's quite safe. Uh, as I mentioned, the low... Uh, and the low fatal accident rate is less than one per 100,000 hours, which is fantastic. But as we deal with airports that have noise complaints, um, we, uh, we encourage the local pilots to do several things. And these tactics have, have been used several times, and they're very successful. Um, the first thing we tell uh, the pilots and business owners at an airport is, if you don't have a pilot or tenant group put together, create one. And I'm talking a legitimate, you know, 501c3 or LLC or whatever it requires, but a real discoverable entity. 
and uh, pick a president and pick a vice president and have a you know uh, a, an official monthly meeting schedule and we're talking five bucks a month from each member to join if you want and then really your membership could be as simple as I have your email address and it gives a, a communication channel for the the leader of this group to keep the pilots informed and the next thing is we encourage that group to have a very open communication channel with the airport manager and the sponsor. So uh, they don't represent necessarily all of the members at the airport but they uh, or pilots at the airport, but they do have a voice. And this is the strength of advocacy, right? So the second thing is to make sure there's a good relationship between the pilot-tenant group and the airport sponsor. And then when there's a noise issue, it's a 100% a community outreach game. Uh, the best airports uh, that have the least amount of noise perception problems or safety-related problems are the airports that have an annual Wings and Wheels event or a fly-in or an open house, or they host the fifth or eighth grade class for a major STEM event at the, at the airport. When what a better place to have a STEM event for science, technology, engineering, and math than an airport? Mm -hmm. I mean, you get to see the lift the forces of lift, drag, weight, and thrust coming together, and you get to hear about Bernoulli's principle and Boyle's law if you want to get into the depths of a carburetor. Um, but those airports that have those uh, activities tend to not have as many noise complaints because there's a favorable impression of the airport. Uh, the EAA does an excellent job with young eagles. The Boy Scouts generally have a presence. The Explorer Posts are at the airports, and, and that brings families into the airport to see and hear the airport airplanes. The Civil Air Patrol has a great presence at airports, and uh, those activities tend to improve an airport's public perception. So any noise complaints around an airport, it's a long game. It requires years of positive messaging, positive outreach, and it's absolutely the way to uh, to prevent an airport from having noise complaints and a bad and a bad reputation. And as soon as you have a politician that wants to redevelop that airport and he's got the wind in the sails of the public doesn't like the airport, our job just got harder to save that airport. All right, Mike. So how can our members help? Well, uh, that's. Um, that's an easy one to answer. So the first thing any AOPA member can do to help, really any pilot at an airport, um, is to be involved. Uh, pay attention to the airport. Get to know the airport manager. Uh, if there's a pilot association or a pilot tenant association, join it. And uh, get plugged into the communication channel of what's going on at that airport. Uh, some of the more active pilots at airports will actually go to the airport advisory board meeting, if there is an airport advisory board, an excellent way to find out what's coming down the line for the airport. If there's a major uh, hangar construction project that maybe is going to require a taxiway to be moved, that's a very disruptive event, but it's a good event for an airport, you know. So... Uh, that coming down the line is something that requires the airport manager to make sure the, the local pilots and, uh, and uh, tenants are aware of. So it's not as disruptive as it could be if it's a surprise. You know, you come out to fly your airplane and you can't get your airplane out because the taxiway is closed. So we encourage members to be involved at their airport, uh, have a chat with your local airport manager, join the Pilot Tenant Association. And uh, really a, a, crit a critical part of this is if, uh, if there is an issue, or even if there's not, we encourage all pilots to get to know the AOPA Airport Support Network volunteer at their airport. And uh, as of right now, there are over 1,500 airports in the country that have a, 
uh, a dedicated airport support network volunteer. It's just an AOPA member who raised their hand to, to help. And they've been trained and appointed, and, and uh, they're our representative at the airport to be our eyes and ears and to be a proactive part of these solutions when, when we have problems pop up. Um, so those are some simple things that any member or any pilot can do to, to help. And it's really just be aware, be involved, and get to meet the key people, which is the airport manager and the airport support network volunteer. What if there is no airport support network volunteer at my airport? Congratulations, you're hired. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's a good question. We actually are in the middle of a, uh, a strong recruiting push. Um, our, uh, we'll have much more information about the uh, ASN volunteer program in uh, the next episode. But uh, if, you, uh, if you don't have an ASN volunteer at your airport, uh, I would encourage anybody listening to this podcast to go to the AOPA.org website and under the Advocacy tab... Uh, click on Airport Support Network, and we've got some very easy tools there to find your airport and whether or not you have a volunteer. Uh, at Sun and Fun recently and at our recent air shows and fly-ins, that's one of the first questions we ask um, uh, visitors to our booth in the AOPA campus is, do you know who your network volunteer is? And, and the answers are, what's that, to, mm-hmm. yes, it's my brother, and, ah. and all answers in between. <laughs> so... Uh, it's very easy to find out who your volunteer is uh, by looking on the website. And if you find that there is no volunteer, we actually make it very easy to, uh, to have you nominate yourself and, and get into the process to be, have a chat with our regional manager. The regional managers really run our ASN volunteer program. Uh, but it's very simple, and it's a wealth of knowledge. In fact, you don't have to be an airport support network volunteer to, to see some of the vast resources we have on, on noise problems and, and obstruction uh, problems with airports and incompatible land use and how do you develop a hangar project if you want to do that. We have a lot of resources on our website. I invite all members to go take a look. All right, Mike, fantastic. Thanks for taking the time to uh, educate our members on this. Well, thank you, Freddie Mac. And to our listeners, thanks for joining us as well. If you have any questions as part of your membership, you can contact our Pilot Information Center staff with your airport questions Monday through Friday at 800-USA-AOPA. That's 800-872-2672. Or you can email your questions to us at pilotassist at aopa.org. And as Mike said, don't forget to check out the AOPA website for a variety of resources, including the Airport Support Network section at aopa.org slash asn or under the Advocacy tab. Please tune into our next episode, by the way, which will feature the history and success of the Airport Support Network with its creator, Bill Dunn. That's going to be a, a great episode, Ferdy. Uh, uh, Bill Dunn was the, the uh, around in AOPA as, uh, in my position, uh, a Vice President of Airports, and, and I'm anxious to have him on this podcast series to uh, tell us all about how the program got started and and all the many things. He's a wealth of knowledge. So uh, thankfully, we still have him on our team. Yep. All right, Mike. Thanks. We'll see you next time. All right. Good day. Let's go flying.